Hey everyone, before we get started, we just wanted to let you know that today's podcast was prepared for information purposes only and is not specifically tailored advice for intervention or treatment. The sentiments here are the presenter's own and they may not be appropriate for one's personal mental health needs or for use in a crisis situation. Should you or someone you know be experiencing a crisis, before making use of this information, please consult with your GP, mental health professional, or call Lifeline on 131114. You're listening to Riverview Church Conversations, a podcast for the spiritually curious. Well, hello and welcome back to the Riverview Church Conversations podcast. Yes. Hi, Reed. Hello, hello. We're back in the room with the uh, the glass eagle statuette. We sure are, and I would say it's nothing other than inspirational. Yeah, I was going to say I'm feeling like I'm feeling lifted. Oh, good, yes. very good. How are you? <laughs> yeah, lifted. I'm lifted. I'm inspired by this the the turquoise throw rug and bits and pieces we have around here. This is the perfect place to be chatting today. Oh, uh, good, good. Yes. And you? Uh, doing well. I'm feeling the afternoon. We're recording. What is it? Almost three in the afternoon. I'm feeling a bit of the afternoon slump. Going to say we're p- pushing through the three o'clock slump. Yes, I did just have a coffee, but maybe I'm you know on the come down already <laughs> which is not great yes. but hey uh it's nice to be back nice to have another mm. conversation lined up and uh today we are having a conversation on the topic of escapism wow now keep going uh, <laughs> i'm aware that, that like escapism i mean maybe that's the language that we've given to this conversation but we wanted to have a bit of a conversa- conversation around the things that we do when feeling it's all sad, a bit too much. depressed, mundane. I mean, on the... I just uh, can't take it anymore. On the Enneagram, right? Just I know we've talked about scrolling. this in our... I think it was the Discovering You podcast. Yeah. I'm, a, I'm a seven, which is like the enthusiast. If you haven't heard from my tone of voice, I'm enthusiastic. <laughs> you're, you're but, but here's the thing, right? The enthusiast, the seven on the Enneagram, a lot of what you do in your life is done because you have a fear <laughs> of the mundane of oh, suffering of pain so you, you go get away from it you get away from it so you go to things that are fun and bubbly and yeah, enthusiastic wow. well, in order that you might avoid now hmm. maybe that's fitting then that so you want to have a good time all I want to have a good time yeah, I want life to not be boring and so mm. I'm aware in my own life right there's things that I do to escape Boring parts of reality. So when you were a kid, were you the ultimate, ma'am, I'm bored? Yes, probably. <laughs> I mean, I had two older brothers. I still do have two <laughs> older brothers. So. Uh, so, I mean, they would keep me a little bit entertained. But I, I had a bit of an imagination as well. So we'd sort all sorts of fun, fun things capers, out. But yeah. I think here's the thing, and, and we've talked a little bit about this. You kind of learn this, I guess, at a young age. But you continue to do it when you're older. Like when life gets too much... Mm. You find ways of withdrawing or maybe not even withdrawing is a good word, escaping by mm. yeah, putting yeah, your yeah. mind onto other things. And so we're having a bit of a conversation around this because I feel like as Jesus followers, it's not necessarily that it's blatantly bad, but how do we like how do we hold this well? Mm. Because I'm learning that yeah. it's nearly impossible to be like a hundred percent present a hundred percent of the time. Like I, my brain just doesn't 
do that. I don't yeah. know about yours. No, and absolutely. Well, I'd be lucky if I'm under, if I'm present fifty uh, percent of the time mentally. You know, <laughs> uh, yeah. No, it's. I mean, we all do it, right? In some shape or form, whether we're mm. aware of it, whether we're doing it deliberately or not. But yeah, it's definitely something that we need to. What are your um? What are your what are your ways out? Reece? Well, there's the <laughs> afternoon nap, of course. So that's that's my my first uh, way out. But last night, yeah, I was just I couldn't deal. So I went to bed at eight o'clock, and I was my my latest form of escape is to watch eighties and nineties mountain bike refurbishment videos. What just on YouTube? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. How yeah. how many hours did you spend? Last? Oh, maybe forty minutes. <laughs> oh, that's turn not the too light bad. off. Okay, that's not eight forty. I was I was out for the count. Yeah. So I escaped. Well, that's good. I escaped last night, that's and good. my wife she was like, "What are you doing?" Nothing. You don't understand. This yeah. is, I need this. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah, so, uh, but yeah, my, my normal mode is to take a nap and just tap out. No, um, look, but I think that's the thing is when it comes to escapism, particularly in church contexts, we mm. kind of jump straight to the big bad boys, you know, alcohol, oh, and drugs, drugs, sex, and, yeah, rock like, and roll. And, and the, look, those Gambling. are, those are definitely tools of escapism, but. I feel like there's a lot more subversive ones mm. that end up doing just as much damage if we're not careful. Mm. Um, whether it's TV or scro- online shopping or gaming True. or I don't whatever. Have enough like, money to have that to have that as a uh, <laughs> to have that as a, an escapist uh, method. My, look, I might get in trouble for this, but my wife loves <laughs> loves a good online shop. I know when she's stressed, pull out the phone, have a look at the sales. Right. What a good time! <laughs> I realize though, I'm like. I'm uh, my thing. I think is numbing uh, video sports, video games. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. So I like. like I think FIFA. you know. Yeah, yeah. I just yeah. like. I'll get home when life is stressful, and I'll just like chuck on career mode on FIFA. Oh wow! And, you just and just further play. your career. Yeah, like just I'm um, some manager. I'm in the year twenty thirty seven by then because <laughs> I've just been churning manager away. Of Sheffield United. Or I something. know, like it's like, and it's not all bad, but it's it's my way of. When things are crazy, my brain just disconnecting a little bit. Like I, I kind of struggle to do that. Renee sometimes loves watching movies. Mm. Um, I don't really like that. I don't know why. Maybe it's not. I don't know. Need to engage more. You're but, just not yeah. a movie guy. You're a FIFA guy. I'm a FIFA guy, race. That's, that's right. Your that's right. Look, if you're listening to this and you want to give me a game, just reach out. I just definitely wouldn't. I mean, I'm a, I'm a bit of a, uh, I'm a Goldeneye kind of a guy. Oh, Nintendo and 64. Your brother has been laying waste to me in Goldeneye lately. Is so that right? I'm just, I would not, I'm not any of the Gagler family. I'm not going to take you on in any form of, oh, sorry guys, that's my alarm. <gasps> there we go. That's probably a sign. Are you trying to stop escape talking about from video this? games? <laughs> you're escaping from this record. Oh, uh, funny. Hey, um, so we're about to jump into this chat, and we have a couple of people joining us today. We have our esteemed co-host Julia Wilson, who's coming, and she's joined us for the chat. And our guest today is Rochelle Masters. Now, um, for those of you who don't know who Rochelle is, she is one of the most sought-after clinical psychologists in Perth, and she is the uh, managing director of a. Um, a quite a large now psychology kind of practice, which has multiple locations around the city. But she's also spent a lot of time kind of in and around faith communities. And so she kind of gets where we're coming from and she has some has some really great insights to offer us. So Yeah, she, she's been a, a great blessing to our community, even in terms of our pastoral team. I think she's helped us kind of walk through stuff and, and learn and grow. And I think that's been really helpful. Now, also just to note mm. that this recording 
is also taking place at a Riverview staff meeting. Wow. And so normally we kind of, you know, get in a secluded room and, and do our records. But this one, there was a live audience. And whenever there's a live audience, you never know what might happen. So without further ado, here's our chat with Rochelle Masters. Well, welcome to the podcast today, everyone. We have joining us the esteemed Rochelle Masters. Thank you for coming in and sitting with us. We are here to talk about escapism. Whoa. Thanks, guys. And to to kick us off, I thought I'd ask you, what's your personal favourite form of escapism? Oh, I love to read a book. I get in this. Oh, that's too healthy. Yeah, Yeah. it is. It is a bit healthy. healthy. I've already sculled my hot chocolate (laughs) here this morning. That would be another. Are you a uh, non-fiction? Are you a terrible romance novel? No, I can only do, uh, at this point in my life, like research. I immerse oh, yeah. myself in the research. I'm a bit nerdy behind the scenes, you might say. Yeah, wow. <laughs> my mother, she's um, she, she was a teacher all her life, but to, to escape she would read horrible romance novels. Oh, okay. Oh. I, would, I would never dare peer into those pages because no. the fear of what was happening. <laughs> <laughs> What's yours, Reese? What's yours? Oh, I'm, I'm, I just love a good nap, eh? Yeah. Like when it all gets oh. too much, I just <laughs> put my head down wherever I am. And I feel like that was kind of like learned through lots of travel and, and it, you know, and being in airport lounges and all that type of stuff and in uh, transient accommodation. It's a good To be able to, to put have. your head down and just clock off. It yeah. is good. But we were talking before, Julia, about how yeah. um, the afternoon nap is a really powerful escapism tool. It's like it when, when, when the weight of the world gets too much, it's like... Yeah, it's like ultimate stress. Just cut it out. Lights out. Yeah. Yeah. What about you? What do you? What do you? What do you do? You, Look, I'm a, a scroller. Oh yeah. Oh. I reckon I'm a scroller. I think mm-hmm. I've recently discovered that as well. It's just, I love just scrolling. <laughs> well, like, what, what kind of scrolling are you? Are you, oh, are you talking social, like Instagram? I social media yeah. for sure. Yeah. Social yeah. media, you know, Instagram, Facebook. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And like, what about what about the scroll? Is the thing for you that well, helps you go to another Rochelle, place? Tell me, tell me. <laughs> That's what I want to learn here today. Yeah, you yeah. know, like I think it's just you can get. You know, I was saying to Reese before, like the algorithms and stuff. Like mm-hmm. they just pull you in, mm-hmm. and it's like just the sensation of scrolling, and you're not thinking, and you're absorbing stuff that you know you don't actually really want to be, but you know it feels good at the time. Yeah, so. yeah. I suppose escapism for every person is. Slightly different. So maybe we'll just we'll, we'll look at a Wikipedia definition, yeah, shall we? I don't definition. know if the definition... Yeah, like, totally. I'm sure there are different ones out there, but this is the one that Ryan gave mm-hmm. to me. Okay. So thank you, Ryan. <laughs> uh, according to Wikipedia, escapism is mental diversion from unpleasant or boring aspects of daily life, mm-hmm. typically through activities involving imagination or entertainment. Escapism may be used to occupy one's um, self away from persistent feelings of depression or general sadness. Mm. Sheesh. Okay. Rochelle, Good. have you found that with your work, like the sort of act of escapism has increased over the last few years? Absolutely. Yeah. So what we're talking about really is how we tolerate discomfort and how we, we tolerate distress. Mm. And we've all got ways that we, we do that. We've just joked about some mm. this morning. And uh, certainly... Uh, there's a balance really to strike mm. between, you know, what is helpful and what is unhelpful. Mm. So, mm. yeah, there's lots of things we do. There's there's unhelpful forms, I suppose, and then what, there's the unhelpful. What would you define as being unhelpful? Like what's the sort of tipping point, I suppose, from it being beneficial to detrimental? Like how do you sort of know where that point is? 
Well, it's all about balance, really. There's a difference between, I guess, disliking unpleasant emotions and yet nevertheless sort of accepting that they're an inevitable part of life Mm. and riding through them Mm. um, versus, I guess, experiencing emotions as unbearable Mm. and needing to escape them. And I I just can't face it. I I can't bear it or I can't stand it. Mm. And then needing to to quickly get rid of that Mm. and push Mm. push those things away. And it's not so much about what we reach for. Mm. It's just about why we why we reach mm, for them mm. and um, the desperate need to escape the uncomfortable mm. is where it can actually breed a whole bunch of problems um, mm. and it can interfere with a fulfilling life. Mm, mm. So, or, or actually make worse any emotional discomfort that we might be experiencing. Mm. Yeah, so, right. you know, it's it's a bit of a hot topic. It's a, it's, it's a bit more complicated than yeah. that. And I'm sure like given that like last night my three-year-old – my four, now four-year-old daughter, bless her, was in a real bless state. And she, she gets to a certain <laughs> level and then she just starts, she gets to a certain level of discomfort and distress yeah. and just starts going, bunny, bunny. Yeah. <laughs> so like is, uh, we're talking about kind of toleration of discomfort, distress. Is this something that's just innately kind of, like we're almost born oh, into yeah. some level of discomfort. So we're, we're, it's part of the human condition from the get-go escapism is almost like kind of part of what we have to deal with. Absolutely. You know? mm. Yeah. And there's high intensity emotional states and discomfort, but there's also the low intensity ones. So, for example, like I suppose, um, you know, high intensity or hot, strong, powerful emotions might be intense despair after an argument mm. um, with a loved one or, mm. you know, intense fear about giving a speech (laughs) 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 on on the spot. (laughs) But it can also occur for lower intensity emotions like um, nervousness before a medical examination or, you know, sadness when remembering, Mm. you know, a breakup. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Um, It's not the intensity of the emotion itself but how much you fear it and how unpleasant it feels to you, how unbearable it seems. And yeah, we, we start off learning good coping uh, when we're little mm. and mm. that's modelled for us typically. Yeah, right. And, mm. and how does that, if we're, if we're learning to cope with distress, discomfort throughout our lives, how, what's going on when those things are being formed? Like, like there must be something kind of going on. Like is there some kind of like neural pathway thing that if we start off sucking our thumb or needing a bunny or a soft toy or a form of affection, what's happening as, those, as that develops into life? Is it literally just behaviours, reinforcing behaviours, reinforcing behaviours? Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's, that's a good way of putting it actually. Like there are coping mechanisms that are functional. But I guess it's actually a continuum is being developed. So on the one end, if you were too tolerant of uncomfortable emotions and you were like, ah, I can just sit with this indefinitely, Mm. you're not actually addressing things that might need to be addressed. But then if you are on the other end of the extreme, like intolerant Mm. and you just can't bear, can't stand, Mm. then you're actually going to, you know, cause more problems Mm. there. So there's some balance in between around not being too tolerant but not being intolerant. Mm. And the key there is around what we call... um, 
learning from a young age how to accept intense emotional states, mm. acceptance, but also improvement strategies. Yeah, so right. what we do to improve, and they're a balance. Mm. So you can't just learn and develop acceptance without improvement, mm. nor improvement, improvement strategies without acceptance. And certainly that's what I do for a job. Yeah, I, right, I yeah. teach people about that, those balances and teach them, you know, how, how they're balancing the, the acceptance of what's happening mm. with, with perhaps what they need, need mm. to do to improve it. Is this making sense? Yes. Yeah, yeah, 100%. What would you say to someone that's, I suppose, like completely unaware of the fact that they are escaping? I mean, like social media is just like a really good example for that because it's sort of like what is that cutoff point where I go, cool, I've been on here an hour now. It's a complete waste of my time. Or for someone maybe that's got like a porn addiction or something like that, like where would you go, okay, this is a natural problem? Like what are some of the indicators in their life that you would start seeing that there's an issue there and maybe you need to rectify that in some way? Yeah, it's normally when it's starting to cause significant interference in everyday life and causing distress or contributing to uh, perpetuating problems mm. that are that are already there. Can you give examples of that? Uh, it would just, just depend on an individual circumstance, I suppose. But, you know, if um, – let me just think – Say if someone's got a drinking problem, oh. let's oh, yeah. just say that as an example. Yeah, totally. So that's avoidance. So there's <laughs> different types and numbing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no. And um, laughing a bit too much. Yeah. No, I was just like, <laughs> yeah. well, I just think about the psychology of like, of like going to the pub on a Friday night after, after yeah. you clock off in your mm. high vis with your buddies and, you, and, and yeah. it's, there's a certain and psychology you're not to that. And home to your wife who's well, bad and bath timing. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, there's you know, all of those things. Yeah. yeah. Oh, look, there's different, there's different types. Uh, there's different ways we escape. I guess we're starting to talk about that and. And certainly drinking would be a numbing and avoiding or sometimes withdrawing um, to tune out from the distress. And, um, for example, using alcohol and other drugs um, is a way to escape emotional discomfort. That doesn't mean to say that people cannot drink. You know, we don't, in psychology, we don't talk about that necessarily with zero alcohol. Um, but it's just when you would use that and how you would use it and what you're, you know, what you're reaching for and how functional it is. And who's so it, we, who it's affecting, yeah, I suppose. Yeah, and there's different, um, you know, when it starts to cause significant interference in everyday life mm. and starts to cause distress or problems, mm. that's what we're monitoring for there. Okay. Yeah. I hope yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. Mm. I mean, I suppose like n- neglecting kind of reality and kind of, you know, it's... If you get a tap on the shoulder from your wife, you're not at, you're never at bath time <laughs> on a Friday night. That would be one one sign, wouldn't it? Um, but yeah, I guess there's one. It's one thing to escape reality, and then it's another thing to like. I'm I'm musician by trade, and I'm a big fan of Neil Finn in terms of the the uh, singer songwriter from Crowded House, and I've heard him say a lot that he uses the afternoon nap as a tool for his songwriting process. Often he'll be in the studio and he'll be 
he'll hit a wall of some kind, whether it be like a creative block or he just gets tired or he just needs an air break and he'll lie down for 20 minutes and quite often out of that will come a new sense of <laughs> um, refreshment or imagination or some kind of a thing where he's able to just kind of like close the blinds on the moment that he was in mm. and go to another place. Mm. So I'm wondering if escapism largely gets a bit of a bad rap, but is there a is there a other side of the coin to that that could be potentially oh, really helpful, useful, totally. all that type of stuff? Hundred percent. So not all escapism, if you want to call it that, is bad. Um, we're regulating our nervous systems all the time. And if I can get a little nerdy. Yeah, yeah, go for not it. Not too nerdy. No, go, go as nerdy as you want. <laughs> Nerd out. You know, we don't learn about, we learn perhaps we're getting better at understanding our, our brain, but we don't understand that it's our brain and our nervous system, which sort of is at the back of the brain. Yeah, right. You know, the brain stem that actually then goes, contributes to a, the nervous system, which is actually like a, you know, a structure that sort of all branches all the way down through mm. our spine and into our throat and our chest and our stomachs and our feet. Now, we don't learn about the nervous system and the nervous system is this structure that activates us, mobilises us and immobilises us mm. all day, every day. You know, I had an activation of my nervous system when I was trying to get here through the traffic mm -hmm. this morning on the freeway mm. and then I had a, a deactivation of my nervous system when I arrived and I received a hot chocolate in my hand mm. and I was greeted warmly, mm. yeah, right. you know. Um and we're designed to have an activation and deactivation. That's happening all the time. It helps us mobilise and it helps us take action and it helps us then rest. And, you know, that's really important. But, you know, with that, according to polyvagal theory... Wow. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, we, we don't really tune in to our nervous systems very well mm. as humans and we can override our nervous mm. systems. And in that instance, we can start to get either a little bit hypo-aroused or hyper-aroused. So mm. our nervous systems can actually go into hypo-arousal, which is where we sort of get all like sleepy and mm -hmm. tired, and, mm -hmm. you know, or hyper-aroused, which is where we sort of start to like speed things up mm. and we start yeah, to get yeah. busy and, yeah, and yeah. so on. Not all of that is bad. Whatever you need to do to regulate your nervous system to keep it within its window of tolerance is a really important thing. So when that muso says, you know what, I've just hit a wall, mm -hmm. I've got to go and now self-regulate, that's that's actually really good. Mm. And sleep might just be right, right the trick for, for him. Yeah. yeah. Uh, or for, for a lot of us, you know. Uh, it's just it's just the only problem would be come when it's causing interference, mm. interference in everyday life, causing problems. Is that making yeah. sense? Yeah. Are you sort of saying that you want to obviously you go into this hyper phase, you want to make sure that people don't stay in that hyper yeah. phase and escapism as a tool is actually beneficial to take you back out of that phase and bring you to a... It can be a form of self-regulation. Yeah, yeah. So it's not really... Say escapism probably wouldn't be the word we would mm. use, although you would perhaps reach for similar things, you know. You, what you're talking about is regulating regulating your nervous system. Yeah. So you might use scrolling yeah. for that and you might you have a nap, you know, for that. No, yeah. But Bonnie's always like, I need to get to the ocean. Just <laughs> like, I'm, yeah, I'm yeah. going, I'm leaving. Go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And she's regulating her nervous system when she's doing that. So we in psychology, we teach tools all the time of how to improve and how to, you know, teach people what to reach for because it's important to have something to reach for. 
mm. but then we want to keep the balance mm. with that. And anything at the extreme is not is not good mm. when we talk about escapism. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Changing gears a little mm, bit. Yeah, okay, mm. okay. <laughs> um, and I'm talking more about the detrimental side of escapism more than the beneficial, mm. but does habitual escapism um, and our obsession with escaping disconnect us more from Jesus, do you feel? Oh, well, it would if it's if it's constant, pervasive replacement of, you know, this connection that we have with our with our core. There's some beautiful research that I, I read a little while ago, again, my nerdy side, <laughs> around how people who connect in prayer and meditation with a loving, compassionate God actually experience a down regulation of their nervous system more readily, wow. more often, more strongly sure. than people that don't have those um, practices, you know, that those devotional practices, yeah. spiritual practices. So uh, people often reach for things other than their relationship mm. with the Lord or that mm. centering, grounding, mm. yeah. And I suppose like people are doing that because of like the addictive nature. So you're talking about meditation there, I suppose, with God. and But like people will often, and I speak for myself, like choose not to do the meditation over the scrolling, just mm. as an example, mm -hmm. because it's addictive. Mm -hmm. You know, there are some addictive algorithms, that sort of stuff. So I think it's just like, I suppose my question in that is like, what can we do to discipline ourselves to go the meditation route over the, the scroll? Mm, that's a really good question. Like how do we self-regulate and build mm. practices into our lives that are healthy mm. rather than escapism, mm. you know, just the, the quick reach mm. that is perhaps not mm. going to connect you. Because I think as well, some people, they actually want to live, it's a bit like The Matrix, like, great movie, by the way, I love The Matrix. But <laughs> they, you know, they're sort of happy living in a dystopia, mm. like, in a sense. And it's mm. like, there is this real world that they know about. And I'm talking about more about Jesus in mm. that. And it's like, what do you say to people that are, and I'm probably more sort of directing this at non-Christians because it's like there's hope and truth in Jesus. That's reality. That's real life. But people are choosing not to go down that path maybe because they're, they're fueled and they're feeling happy by their escapism tactics. You know? Oh, yeah, totally. And I just don't think we as a culture, perhaps Perth WA, are exposed to meditative, contemplative mm. practices to really understand the benefits of them. Mm. And it's usually not until people get into trouble with their emotional regulation or depression or anxiety that they actually then start to think, well, I don't know how to do this mm. any other way. Mm. And so they might seek help in that regard to then understand what it is to practice self-regulation, to dis put disciplines in their life that they reach for rather than, you know, the unhelpful ones. Mm. Um, yeah, I, I don't think... I don't think we have good exposure to... We're getting better, you know, um, but I don't think... I don't think we have exposure or we understand really how to use those practices. But there are some practices that are evidenced in the research to that link with, um, you know, our followership of Jesus, you know, that can really inform this area of our life. Practices like solitude and silence, mm. you know, even just contentment, 
and know, understanding what that is and what that brings. Mm. You know, um, the word and the application, like, of the word, it's wisdom. Mm. Prayer. Prayer is huge, even in the psychological literature. Prayer is a huge uh, regulating tool. Mm. Um, fellowship, uh, fellowship, sorry, with um, genuine friendships. Mm. You know, yeah, actually, the social connections, even childlikeness, like learning yeah, how right. to play. Yeah, yeah. Playing, just mm. having fun, you know. And I think offering, you know, for those that are, that love God, offering God a rested soul is one of the, the most incredible gifts we can give to our Heavenly Father. Mm. Like, if we actually think of our soul realm, our, our mind, our will, and our emotions, mm. our thinking, our choosing, our feeling, if we can offer that rested as a gift to our Heavenly Father, that's a beautiful mm. contemplative practice. At Riverview, we're fairly, fairly large church, right? So we have these large gatherings mm-hmm. and I often wonder if it's not, not to um, in any way negate the things that have already been discussed because I think that holistic kind of spiritual practice is really, really Mm. valuable. But I feel sometimes that we're in danger of providing just uh, another version of escapism Mm. for people who Mm. might just need to get out of their their world for an hour and a half on Mm -hmm. a Sunday and come in and... um, Have the hustle of dissociate from yeah. from life, you yeah. know, um, and that's that's I know that's a broad brushstroke to paint, um, but you know all the things that we do, the 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 lights and the the darkened rooms and the the prayer, sensory and, yeah, and the sensory mm-hmm. stuff, and yeah. also kind of um, sometimes in in large or mega church contexts, the it's almost like that we can fall into the trap of endlessly pursuing peak experiences. So from like one big worship song to the next big worship song to the next big Mm. worship song to the corporate prayer moment to the message that has emotional keyboards behind it to Mm. the altar call (laughs) to the big song to the big finish and out we go, you know. Um, Yeah, sometimes I wonder if we're in danger of doing some of that ourselves. Mm. I mean, I don't know, it sounds like you've been around church circles just as long as the rest of us. What do you you make of that whole Uh, I think just speaking personally, like I absolutely loved the bells and whistles of church, like the smoke machine, the lights, the the (laughs) anointed worship with those anointed musicians Mm. and um, the, the, you know, the praise and the worship and the speaker and the, Mm -hmm. you know, I just loved all that, you Mm. know, but you know, I don't know about you guys, but the Holy Spirit relentlessly pursues me and my heart for him and his heart for me. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, that was part of, I guess, my discipleship process was actually learning how to connect with the Holy Spirit outside of all those things. Yeah, right. Okay. So I, d- I don't need the bells and whistles mm. to feel the anointing anymore. Mm. <laughs> and... Um, it doesn't take me too long these days to to observe the Holy Spirit in the room when it's not the room always that I like or want to be in, yeah. and particularly the rooms that I sit in on a on a daily. You know, they're filled with oppression yeah, and right. um, sadness mm. and turmoil, and I need a way. <laughs> 
to connect with the Holy Spirit on the regular that, that's free from those bells and whistles. Mm-hmm. And I think it's okay that we provide that yep. to people wanting an experience of church that uplifts them. But I also know that the Holy Spirit relentlessly pursues our heart for him. Yeah. I guess it's kind of one of those things that like they're all things in moderation. I suppose if you're treating your Balance. your church gathering yeah. kind of Sunday or whatever worship experience as that form of escapism, then that potentially is needs some work just like if you're treating your Netflix account in, in that way. Yeah. Um, and sometimes I often wonder about like the language we use, and I don't want to be the language police, but if, <laughs> if our theology or if, we'd, if, if the way that we speak of our spiritual practice, our life in, in church community is about kind of escaping if it's like it's, if it's um, uh, like left behind, you know, that kind of mm. that whole kind of end times thing. If, mm. we're, if we're driving towards uh, an escape to the pearly gates rather than actually being conscious of the moment we're in mm. and what Jesus is doing now and where is he and how is he showing up and all that type mm. of stuff, you know. Um, but obviously people have different kind of ways of experiencing Holy yeah. Spirit and kind of practicing that. So Absolutely. I don't want to. I don't want to um, uh, uh, take us down a rabbit hole. Yeah, and I also don't want to. Like I, I, <laughs> I am me, and you guys are you, and yeah. I don't want to uh, speak down about people who like to swing from the rafters as much as I wouldn't like to speak down about people who like to have deep hours at four yeah. in the morning <laughs> reading the Bible. You know? Yeah, yeah. I don't know. It's um, it's. It's fraught, isn't it? It you know, is the thing, As leaders in a, in a faith community, there's a responsibility there, I suppose, to kind of mm. to be leading people into uh, some degree of maturity, right? In the same way that in counselling, you're wanting to kind of do that as well. Is, is, that, mm-hmm. is that fair to say? Mm-hmm. Like you're not Facilitate. kind of wanting people to mm-hmm. say to stay in their... Um, Dis- discomfort. In, yeah, mm-hmm. or their immature ways of viewing life or using things in... In, in their life, I know. think it's about accepting our humanity as well because it makes sense, doesn't it? I mean, the minute that I'm freezing cold, I will take action to to fix that. Mm. You know, if I'm starving hungry, I know from my chair at the clinic, it takes me seven minutes to get through Maccas <laughs> and return to my yeah, chair. Yeah, like I don't <laughs> like feeling hungry or uncomfortable. I don't <laughs> like feeling cold, yeah. you know. Um but, you know, so it makes sense. So it's part of our humanity is to, to fix those things mm. and where it's okay to be human. But, yeah, it's all it's about reflecting, isn't it, on these areas of our lives and what are we avoiding, what are we, what are we checking, what are we needing reassurance for, what are we distracting, what are we suppressing, what are we numbing, withdrawing, you know. Mm. What about our heart, the harmful releases and how let's just submit that and have a look at that. Yeah. I think that's what we're doing today. What, so, so if you're like, if this is if this is a revelation for for you and your thinking, this is the first time I've ever thought about the things that I, the coping mechanisms I have, the things that I, places I escape to. What might be some helpful ways of initially looking at that, wrangling, reckoning with, you know, dealing with some of that stuff? Yeah. If I am hearing aside from this for uh, the going to master's psychology and yeah. signing, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. well, thank you very much for yes. that. Plug. <laughs> Discount code uh, <laughs> review conversations podcast. Yeah, I guess if you are, if you're hearing this for the first time, uh, it's a concept where you, you learn 
you have to understand, I suppose, or come to understand the balance between acceptance, accepting distress and discomfort as an inevitable and a, and a normal part of being human and having, you know, mm-hmm. existing with the improvement. So it's accepting and the improving. And um, that doesn't mean to be that we are resigned to feeling miserable or wallowing in negative emotions, but we we perhaps start to practice mind watching our emotions and our emotional discomfort the things that we need to improve and the things that we need to accept mindfully so this is where mindfulness comes in in terms of uh speaking from my profession mindfulness is the state of being where you are in the present and you teach yourself the skill of like stopping taking a step back observing what's happening and then making adjustments to proceed in a direction for which yields the best mm. gains for you. And that, that's what learning mindfulness is all about. And mindfulness is a funny thing because everyone's different. You know, some, some people just love just getting in the kitchen and starting to sort of make, getting their hands in a bowl of bread or dough or, you know. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, and that's a mindful practice for them. It's where they sort of learn to take a step back and ground themselves in the present moment and process emotion. Mm. Whereas for other people, it's different. You know, exercise and movement can be that. You know, everyone's slightly different. So they, it's actually a practice in, I guess, learning what you need to self-regulate mm-hmm to manage your nervous system within its window of tolerance and what practices might be helpful for you that really bring that to you. And they might change over time as well. Mm. You know, you're a muso, perhaps like smashing out some beats on the bass guitar. It's interesting. I was was chatting with – we went out to dinner with a friend a couple of months ago and she was just asking me about kind of what what the experience of playing music is like, like what's it actually like, you know, Mm. kind of being in a band or – being on stage and having an audience and and I came to the realisation that it's the only time that, apart from having a nap, <laughs> that everything else is not, it's not that it fades away, it's just not there. Mm. It's just it's just miraculously mm. disappears and that might not be the same for everyone else but mm. if, if I'm playing in a band and it's really good, you're not thinking about paying the bills yeah. or uh, what's for lunch or any of that type of stuff, yeah. you know. And it's... Mm. It's 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 cool. it almost can't be that that can't be replicated. Mm. But you also can't just magically snap your fingers and yeah. get into a band room and start playing, right? So and get yeah, get into the zone or the yeah. flow. But mindfulness is a state of you know really looking at those things with curiosity, non-judgment, and um, and then looking at those strategies and how they what they improve and, and how they contribute. So there's basically naming it, right? Yeah, you're basically saying oh, I'm feeling this. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, this is this is the moment I'm in, and it's either it's a lot or just being aware of it, right? I like is it, is that, it like, I like sorry, that sorry I just I just want to oh, have yeah, one yeah. No, one, no, one little thought. Totally is go. it? At one point, I was kind of having a bit of a rough time, and so I I would write down on a post-it note, "This is the thing that I'm feeling today," and just carry it around in my pocket, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. then very good. I would almost kind of go like when it, when that feeling would come up, I'd be like, "There's the feeling, okay, yeah, cool, it's there. Have a look at it for a couple of minutes, mm. and then like, okay." 
now on with my day. Hmm. You know, absolutely. I, I don't know, like whether like is part of naming That's a strategy. it just actually being it like is. Mm. This, it absolutely. This is what I'm feeling naming it. now, yeah. mm. and I don't have to feel it for the next ten hours, but I'm allowed to feel feel this way now. Mm. And noticing it in your body as well, because mm. uh, emotion sits in your body somewhere. Mm. So, um, and it moves. It moves, but actually to to notice that and sort of say, oh, I'm feeling that, mm. you know, warmth on my face of the sunshine, mm. you know, naming it and I'm grateful for the day, mm. yeah. you know, or the, the opposite if you're feeling something uncomfortable. There is power in naming it, noticing where it sits in your body and allowing it to be there, not judging it, knowing that it'll move on. Mm. It's interesting because I, I do that with my daughter a lot. So she just gets like angry and then we'll go, okay, I can see you're feeling angry. Are you feeling angry? And she'll go, yeah, I'm feeling angry. Or so, And now she started to just, she'll start crying and she'll go, I'm sad, mummy. So it's like naming that uncomfortable emotion. And I like what you said about just sort of sitting with the fact that you're not always going to feel good. And mm. I think our society teaches us like we need to, feel happy we need to like look great all the time and it's like that's just so unrealistic and that is escapism you know like so it's just yeah like naming the uncomfortable thing and it's actually okay like life just in general is full of very uncomfortable sad grieving moments we wouldn't if we didn't have those we wouldn't have the extreme joy that we have either so it's like the part of that is just the circle of life mm-hmm. in a way, you mm-hmm. know. So it's, mm-hmm. yeah, it's good techniques. I don't think we learn to, we don't learn emotional literacy. I didn't anyway. You know, how to name emotions mm. and notice where they are in the body and then knowing how to process them and knowing mm. how they process through our nervous system and that and that be a normal experience. Mm. We're not used to that. Mm. Perhaps as a as a final kind of, gear change. I'm just wondering if there might be any implications for this. We talked to kind of about the individual, right? Does this, how does this type of thing manifest within organizations? So we as a church community staff, there might be something, you know, it's almost like a vibe. Does, does this, how does this type of thing or, or does it, is it, is it able to be quantified how this type of, you know, the escape or the, the naming, the, the spirit of the time that we're in does, does that make sense? Is mm. there is there something to that? Is there something that we could, as a church community, as leaders, as followers of Jesus, as a large gathering, how, how do we deal with this? Oh, this is where I'd love to open it up to the room because, you know, it's all very chill vibe in here at the moment and culture is everything, right? Mm. And so with culture, actually, you know, working out how we name what's happening broadly uh, for ourselves, but also collectively, and you know how we make room for those experiences, and how how each person is is, I guess, uh, managing some of that culture vibe, <laughs> the vibing, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and and looking, you know, attending to one another and working out well how do we how do we make room, and how do we name the things that are hard to name, and what are we going to do about them. And how do we um, help each other and help more often and add value in in a, in an organisation where the vibe um, might be um, uncomfortable? Mm. They're, they're awesome questions. I'd love to know mm. what you do about that. 
Riverview Church. Yeah, does, any, does anyone have any, does anyone want to chime in? Otherwise, I'll just keep talking. You don't have to hop on the mic. You can just yell it out and I'll edit it in later. <laughs> you know, we could, when we're talking about collective, collective discomfort and when the culture, the vibe is like, oh, you know, this is hard or this is heavy or this is challenging or we don't know what, you know, mm. we don't know how to navigate this uncharted territory. You know, how do you, how do you do that collectively? And maybe the, maybe the naming, like Tanya, you're always, I'll come to you, Jamie, in a second. Yeah, you're always reminding us to kind of name the thing. If you don't name the thing, then you can't address the thing maybe. And I, like we're looking at the, the Queen Elizabeth has just passed away mm. and we're all, there is almost like, not lament, but there's, there's, there's a grief and yeah. sorrow and all that type of thing that we're all in different ways engaging with mm. and feel differently, but it's named. Mm-hmm. You know, a, a person has passed on and we're engaging with it in a certain way. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe through different kind of seasons, it's just about that. It's finding a way as a community to name the thing, mm. like the spirit of the age or whatever it is, how, however you want to put it. Well, I think, I don't know, but for me, I, I sort of grew up with this thing that I, I needed to deal with the flesh, you know, like I needed this flesh part of me, the humanity part of me, I always needed to be dying. And therefore... <clears throat> Um, pushed, made obsolete and sort of hidden or, you know. And yet I think for me really understanding that Jesus himself having chosen to be a human and going to great lengths to um, demonstrate his humanity, Mm. like even after he ascended and then, you know, Mm returning to meet with his disciples on the road and, and going to great lengths to, you know, they, they were a bit spooked actually. They thought he was a ghost. But actually him saying, no, look, look at my hands and my feet and give me that broiled fish. Like, watch me eat. You know, like it's almost that mm. thing of he's going to quite great lengths to demonstrate his understanding mm. of our humanity and what it is to be human. And so obviously then there's, you know, theology around that and, and that, but it's okay for us to be human and to then allow our humanity to, to then be discipled um, in that following of Jesus. So, mm, interesting, interesting question. We're allowed to be human. Give God a rain dance right now!